Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? It's Friday! Friday. Yes, it is. I've got a big weekend planned. Got a speech this weekend on Saturday. I'm working like seven days a week now, but that's good. I enjoy it. It's always (laughs) fun getting out. I never get out of my office in my studio, so it's good to see people. Hey, I've got a lot uh, lot to get through today. I want to talk about some, this fascinating piece I read, and it's just interesting. Uh, There's a lot of stuff. This was a fascinating piece about Trump's chaos theory. Mm. Um, I think the the author of the piece is onto something, but I think he gets his conclusions all wrong. And I want to talk about it in relation to both the 2018 and 2020 election. This is going to be a really cool show. So, so as they said in the police academy on the mustard deck, stand easy, hang tight on this. You're going to like it. All right. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at hair club. Hey, confidence is important. You know, not everybody has a Samson like mane of hair, like Armacost. Joe looks like Elvis. Go to his Twitter. He's at Joe Haas with a Z one. Check him out. Uh-huh. He looks not the, not the old gravy sweating Elvis. I'm talking about the young, lean and mean Elvis. Yeah. That's Armacost. Thank Check you. him out. Ladies love him on Twitter, by the way. But why? <laughs> Joe, let's be honest. 90% of it's your hair. Oh, yeah. Let's absolutely. just be candid. Joe has great hair. And confidence <laughs> is important. Sometimes it, uh, it can change your life, your hair, right? Hair Club knows this. They're inviting you to become part of the Hair Club family to see how getting the most out of your hair can change your life. They understand the emotions you're feeling and they know the questions you have about your hair. Hair Club is the leader in total hair solutions with a legacy of success. Forget a load of this, over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair or to learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylists, hair health experts, and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and get the most out of your hair. See for yourself just how powerful great hair can be. Like I said, this is uh, this. If you if you look at Joe's hair, you'll see what I mean. Joe, that it is it is Joe is like Samson. You cut his hair, it's all over. He's <laughs> laughing his butt off. Go to hairclub.com/bongino today for a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair kit, all valued at over three hundred dollars. That's hairclub.com/bongino. Hairclub.com/bongino for a free hair analysis and free hair care kit. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Only with Hair Club. I'm certain you'll love the club. Thank God okay. for post-production. Yeah, I know. Joe just, I don't know what he was doing back there, but Joe's causing total chaos in the studio. Awful. Sounds are going off. Sound effects are going off. Liners are going off. So, yeah, that's all right, Joe. I trust. We'll fix you have it. no idea the sounds that make it, uh, that, that get cut out of the Ooh. show sometimes. Some of them are quite grotesque. All right. Quick update. So, um, on the election, so Georgia now, Stacey Abrams, the far-left Democratic candidate endorsed by Oprah, and a bunch of radical far leftists um, now doesn't want to recount, Joe. Um, she wants to re-vote in Georgia. Did you hear this? Yeah, you missed this because no. you were on the air this morning. Right. This just came out. Stacey Abrams, I have it up on my Twitter feed. The far left liberal candidate in Georgia who lost in a spirited election nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Now she doesn't want to re. She wants to re-vote. Mm. She, I'm not kidding, folks. It's not a joke. I'm not trying to be funny, silly, or sarcastic. So now the Democrats, apparently in close elections, are no longer going to argue for recounts and what I was calling reassessments, Joe. Now they want re-elections. Like, no, re-elections in the same election cycle. Oh. Folks, you know, we laugh, and I, Joe was kind of, I, I see him kind of snickering in the background. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know, Joe, that the Democrats, as I always say to you, never do things by mistake. Nope. Ever. Everything they do is for some tactical advantage. They do not waste their money, their time, or their assets. They are feeling out what they can get away with. Mm-hmm. And remember, everything with the Democrats we laugh at today, like, oh, this is ridiculous. She wants a revote. This woman is not dumb, folks. The Stacey Abrams campaign, they are not full of stupid people. You may not like their policies. Their policies are absurd. But don't for a minute think that these people who are backed by radical leftists who know what they're doing did this by mistake. They are pushing the envelope to see what they can get away with. I already said this. I filled in for Levin last night. And if you listen to my show this week, it's what's going on in Florida, too. They're pushing the envelope on what they can get away with for signatures. Oh, the signatures don't match. This guy signed Joey Bag of Donuts. His name is mm. Tony Bag of Donuts. Oh, close enough. He forgot his first name. There's a lawsuit in Florida about signatures now. Uh. They're saying, oh, if they don't match, it's no big deal. Deadlines. They're pushing deadlines. Well, the deadline for vote by mail doesn't matter. Every vote should be counted. Really? And what about next year? Should those votes be counted too? Folks, they are pushing the envelope. 
Also with the down ballot races, the ag commissioner race in Florida, it looks like they fleeced right under our noses while we were all paying attention to the top of the ticket. So just pay attention. Okay. Now regarding today's show, um, I was, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to put this together because there's so much, it's like a smorgasbord of information. It's so good. That'll help us understand the electoral environment we're in, the one we're going to for 2020. So I'm going to put it together this way. I'm going to start with this article in the journal, the Wall Street Journal, by a guy named Lance Morrow. And it's called Trump's Chaos Theory. It's a really fascinating piece, although I, I disagree strongly with the conclusions. He opens up by talking about how Trump is acts as if this is his theory, not mine. I'm just kind of paraphrasing what he said. Right. Trump acts, Joe, as if he's the, what, what does he say? The, uh, he talks about the Chinese and the boxer rebellion, some of them who thought they were impervious to bullets. Um, they weren't, as you could imagine. That did not end well. I'm not mean to make light of it. It's the analogy he uses, not me. I'm just saying um, that didn't work out well. It didn't happen. Um, so what he says, he makes the analogy to Trump. And let me put, this is a fascinating quote. And I want you all to digest this because I think his conclusion about the quote is wrong. He says, talking about Trump, he operates as if he had carved out a unique dimension of invulnerability. In other words, that Trump thinks he's these rebels in the boxer rebellion who think they're impervious to bullets when in fact they're not. In other words, the way Trump goes out there with uh, bombast and hyperbole at times and this uh, bravado kind of uh, personality Mm -hmm. that he acts as if he's impervious to say, Political rounds coming downrange. Political rounds. Obviously, I'm a big supporter of the president. The author says that's a mistake. He says that what happens is it's giving this apparent sense of chaos around the Trump campaign, uh, the Trump reelect, the Trump presidency, Joe, that they can do whatever they want as people around them are being taken down piece by piece by piece because the chaos is kind of eating them up. So his line on this is that sooner or later, Trump is going to need to either mellow out a little bit, straighten out a little bit in the uh, in, in, in his uh, in his style, in his in his big, bold, uh, braggadocious kind of bravado style, or he thinks Trump is going to go down in flames in 2020. Now, I, I don't disagree with his assertion that Trump does operate with this dimension of invulnerability. He says things, Joe, excuse me, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. He says things no politician in modern times could ever get away with but Donald Trump. I'm president and you're not. I love that. Favorite line ever. The 60 minutes. It was great. It was great. He says things that no other politician could get away with. Now, the author, this guy Morrow, is assuming there's a political penalty to be paid by that because people perceive it as being very chaotic and Trump is being somewhat out of control. Folks, I, I think he's reading this all wrong. And I don't think this is the first time people have read Trump wrong. Now, Trump may lose re-election. I, I, listen, after uh, I blew the House call, you know, we nailed the Senate call, but that doesn't matter. 50-50 is no good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to stay out of the prediction business. Two out of three ain't bad. We were good on the presidential, but, you know, predictions are like, uh, everybody has one. You don't yeah. see where I'm going with that. Yeah. But Trump could obviously lose 2020. But I don't think it's going to be because of this chaos theory that this guy has, that Trump's perceived sense of invulnerability that he can't be he can say whatever he wants in other words joe because the political bullets won't penetrate right yeah i don't believe that that's hurting him and let me explain to you why folks we're living in an increasingly pc identity politics focused culture that is doing a lot of real damage to very very real people People who are Democrats, people who are Republicans, people who are in academia, people who've been in the workplace and have just slipped. Somebody said something like, uh, hey, you know, I met this guy, my neighbor, and he happens to be homosexual. And some guy says, well, you can't say that. You're supposed to call people who are homosexual gay. And the guy's like, I didn't know that. I've used this analogy before because I remember reading this report when I was guest hosting at a local radio station in Maryland. I'll never forget this about how it is now... um, it's considered uh, in some way, and forgive me, I always get this backwards because I genuinely don't remember what direction it went in. That it was considered now somewhat homophobic to use the term either gay or homosexual. You're supposed to use, and I, I don't know which one it was. 
I'm not being funny, silly, or making lies. I'm just telling you, I genuinely don't remember. You're not alone, dude. It, you're not alone. No, I don't remember what it was. You, it was saying like you're not supposed to use the term gay. You're supposed to use the term homosexual. And if you do, it's considered homophobic. And I thought to myself, well, how, who, said, who made this rule up? And the answer is cultural elites made this rule. We didn't make this rule up. Most people have no, not a homophobic bone or neuron in their body. They just use words that they've heard in the English language to refer to, to people, places, things and, uh, that they've heard. That's what they use. Right. You know, they call the Grand Canyon the Grand Canyon because they saw a picture of a canyon uh, you know, out in the Midwest. And someone wrote, hey, this is the Grand Canyon. Not everybody's been there. Someone had a friend and their friend said to him one time, hey, you know, I, I'm gay. And you said, OK, you're gay. They didn't know using the word gay was wrong. No one told them the rules. You see my point? Mm-hmm. So the point is the battle right now is against the rules. The battle's against the rules in general. And I think a number of people are upset that these rules have been arbitrarily imposed upon them. They don't. A lot of them have sincere and strong disagreements with Trump on a lot of issues. How do I know that? Because a lot of these people voted for Obama. Ladies and gentlemen, in a lot of Rust Belt states, a lot of blue collar working states, notably Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin that voted for Obama by huge margins and then voted for Donald Trump. The numbers are there. A lot of Obama voters who agreed with, you know, tax the rich, you know, special interests are, uh, are horrible. Unions are great. I'm just saying this was an Obama platform type stuff. Those people switched over and voted for Trump. Did you ever ask yourself why? I don't know, Lance Morrow. I'm not, it's not personal. I just think his conclusion on this, that Trump's battle against these PC rules and his own perceived invulnerability, his, in other words, saying, hey, screw this. I'm going to go out and say what I want to say, and I don't really care what your rules are. I think that is the Trump appeal. Folks, I know this because I talk to a lot of people who support Trump and their reason every time for supporting him that I get out there is, oh, he fights back. He fights back. I think uh, the, the author of this piece is really grossly misreading this. Now, granted, there's a line on anything, folks. I mean, I do agree that after a while, chaos is not. I've said to you before on this show, and I'm not backtracking. I'm going to say it about the Democrats, and I'll say it about Trump and the Republicans, too. Chaos is not a brand. But I don't think the general voting working class person out there who voted for Trump but voted for Obama in the past sees Trump's invulnerability and his his self-perceived invulnerability mm -hmm. as a flaw. I don't think they... In other words, Joe, do you see what I'm saying? I don't think they see it as chaos. No, they, they see yeah. it as a strength. Like, hey, you know, I was in work one time and I was attacked for saying... Um, uh, what, what, just name a word that's I'm trying to think I gave you the example before where I read that piece but I'm trying to think of something that's changing I, I was in work one time and I said that men should use the men's bathroom and, and I was fired because someone said hey that's offensive that's transphobic mm -hmm. no it's not what do you mean it's transphobic it's not transphobic at all what are you talking about the guy could have no uh, not a stain in his heart at all for anybody on the planet he's just making a simple point we have segregated bathrooms between men and women uh, for a reason. The biological parts are different. So the guy goes to work and says that, and all of a sudden he's fired. I'm simply using this example to say to you that there are people like that everywhere who may have been historically Democrat voters on a number of issues that perceived the Democrats as fighting for the working man. And now they see Trump out there with this shield of self-perceived invulnerability going out and taking on the rules in general. Mm-hmm. Here's a perfect example on the Trump side of what I mean. This nationalism thing that's going on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the term nationalism has been monopolized oh. by the left to mean something it doesn't mean. Not at all. The left has taken this nationalism term to mean some kind of, to have racial connotations. Yeah, 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 that yeah, is yeah. not the case. That is not what the term means. Now, Tucker Carlson on Fox has been all over this, and it is a rebellion against the rules imposed by the left. The left, in other words, the cultural elites and the media people who put out these articles like you're not allowed to use the term gay. You're supposed to use the term homosexual or vice versa. Whatever the article said 
have now said that if you use the term nationalist, you are somehow a racist. Now, common sense people are like, how does that even make sense? I don't get that. I'm a nationalist, meaning I care about the world, but I care about the interests of the United States first because I live here. That's not a controversial position. The left has now put out in articles, you know, these far left websites and the media types, CNN and all those other folks. If you say nationalist, you're a racist. And everybody runs scared. They're afraid of being fired from their job. They're afraid of social pressure. They're afraid of their neighbors looking at them funny. Well, Trump went out the next day at a rally and said, I'll say what I want. I'm a nationalist. I care about the United States. And the media is terrified. The media doesn't know what to do, Joe, because the rules in the past have been the media declares a word off limits. And what happens? Everybody runs away in panic. Subjectivity in the meaning of words, Dan, has been a big part of tyranny forever. Yes. Forever. Yes, it has. We said this in uh-huh. one of our earliest episodes, still up on SoundCloud. You got it. How the left loves subjectivity mm-hmm. and the analysis of things because the subjectivity always airs in their direction. But why? Because they control the media. Boom. So even though you and I both know that nationalist has an objective meaning, I care about my nation, nationalist. There is an objective, readable meaning about what that means. The left understands they can change that meaning through culture power and the media, cultural power, Hollywood elites, academics and the media by just getting them to write a few pieces saying, if you say you're a nationalist, we're going to call you a racist. And everybody goes, "Ah, oh, no. So this poor union worker in Michigan, he goes, I heard Trump last night, this nationalist thing. I like that. We should care about the United States first. That's a good idea. We got a lot of people struggling. (gasps) Sir, please come into HR. (laughs) HR guy sits him down. Right, Joe? We've all been there, right? Listen, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny, one more. Yeah, we're going to give you this lecture one time and one time only. You say that and work the workspace again. You are fired. Fired for what? You can't say nationalist. Why? I care about the United States. We're in the United States. That's the the CNN told us that's racist. We're going to fire you. How do you think that union worker feels when he gets back on the line? Do you now understand what the Trump effect is? It is a rebellion against what Joe just accurately stated, the subjective setting of new rules that we all haven't been briefed in on. We didn't agree to this. I didn't agree that nationalist means racist. I don't agree at all. It has a very definable objective meaning. The fact that media elites decided they were going to change the meaning to paint us as racist or out absurdly and ridiculously as racist, conflating these two terms, does not mean we accept that. And the Trump effect is not chaos, I believe, like the authors misreading this, perceived chaos. I believe it's a perceived rebellion. And a rebellion against the rules themselves. It's not perceived as chaos. I believe this is why Trump has taken over in a lot of states that were Rust Belt states and working class states where people are tired of this. They're tired of the globalist mentality that we're supposed to look out for the interests of everybody else first. They're tired of being called transphobic and homophobic and uh, misogynistic. I always call them the istophobic phobophobes for having common sense opinions, not based in any sense of malice or malfeasance, based only in an honest opinion. I have a daughter. I'd like her to go into a women's room with women. I just don't want her seeing male genitalia at, at 14. I mean, is that unreasonable? What, what? I didn't agree that that's unreasonable. No, no. Well, Vox V, V, Vox. Gosh, I shouldn't say that anymore because everybody thinks I said Fox. Vox with a V. So Vox wrote an article that you're transphobic if you don't agree that men should be able to use the women's room. We, well, I didn't say that. I don't agree to that. Why, why do I have to? I don't understand. So now we have to fold because some some 18 year old just out of college, you know, uh, sitting there vaping, eating s'mores at his desk in Vox with his first real job has determined that 40 and 50 percent of America who think men should stay in the men's room. He's determined we're all transphobic and we're all supposed to just sit back and go, oh, OK, I'm really sorry. Sorry about what? I'm not sorry about anything. And it's an opinion based on an objective truth. Trump fights against those rules. His what the author Lance says, his dimension of invulnerability that he perceives as chaos. In other words, if Trump goes out there thinking he's invulnerable to the political bullets, that dimension of invulnerability, uh, invulnerability is perceived by people out there as tr- Trump's strength, not as chaos. The Boxer Rebellion was chaos because they weren't invulnerable 
to the actual bullets. But Trump is plowed right through it, ladies and gentlemen. His approval rating's not fantastic. Let's be candid. But it's good. Yeah. It's stable. Yeah. Let's not be hyperbolic. It's okay. Yeah. 45, it's, been, it's closed in on 50 at times. It's, it, his approval rating's not in the 20s or the 30s. These political rounds they throw at him are not taking down the Trump presidency. The midterms were, were ugly, but they weren't catastrophic. They were nowhere near as bad as Obama's midterms. We lost about 30 plus seats and looks like we're going to gain two seats in the Senate. Obama lost 63 seats and six seats in the Senate. But everybody celebrated him after the midterm. Oh, he's doubling down now. Obama reinvigorated by losses is, is back, is back with the newfound strength. Trump, oh, a catastrophe. It's over. It's not over. Trump's plowed through it all. Judges appointed, tax cuts, major economic growth, regulatory reform. His dimension of invulnerability is not the boxer rebellion. It's real because he does plow through the rules. They've called, ladies and gentlemen, think about this rationally. They have called this man every single disgusting, horrifying name in the book with an attempt to dent his approval rating down into the 20s. And none of it stuck. None of it. He's a racist. He's a traitor with the Russians. He's a fascist. Well, I mean, what else? He's an imperialist. He's a tyrant. The list goes, I, we could, Joe and I could put together, it would bore you to death. Uh, a two to three minute video clip of the horrible things Trump's been called. Oh, easy. Easily. I don't even want to waste your time in the audience with it. I'd rather, seriously, because it's, it's, it's just a waste. You all know the names. Mm -hmm. And ladies and gentlemen, his approval is relatively stable. And it's because his attitude that I'm invulnerable to this by plowing through what you, the rules you've laid on me that you've laid on others ruining their lives new rules you can't say no men in the women's room or you're going to be told you're transphobic you're going to be fired Trump just goes right ahead and says it don't use the term nationalist we're going to call you a racist okay so he goes out that night gives a speech yeah I'm a nationalist and by the way the media told me not to say that so I'm saying it <laughs> yeah. right yeah. they're reading this thing all wrong ladies and gentlemen we have all been vulnerable to PC attacks. And the fact that they have someone dancing finally for them, for those of you who listen to my famous dance show that got most of the, that we have to get out and dance. It's not the first guy that gets up and dances at the party. Everybody laughs at him for a bit. It's the second guy that joins him. That's what starts a house party. We have been those guys trying to dance forever, but we haven't had the power or the social influence to get everybody at the house party to dance with us. Trump's that guy. He is the second guy at the party. We've been laughed at. You know, the guy gets up and dances. He's the only guy at the house party. Everybody's like, oh, look at that guy. He looks so silly. Remember that episode, oh, yeah. folks? Go back and look. That, that show did uh, monster numbers. It's not the first guy. It's the second guy that joins him that makes everybody else comfortable. Because now they're like, okay, he's not the only crazy one. There's another guy. Maybe it's not so crazy. I'm going to dance too. Trump was the second guy at the dance at the house party. We've been the first guy the whole time. We've been out there fighting against the, uh, these uh, on these social issues, fighting on these social fronts, fighting for uh, you know florists who don't want to make flower floral arrangements, mm -hmm. uh, who want to fight for their own religious values. We've been the ones doing that, and we've been stigmatized as everything: anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-black, anti-Hispanic. It's all nonsense. It's all garbage. None of it's true. Trump's the second guy to get up and say, "You know what? I'm going to fight for an egalitarian society." based on a negative liberties government, what the government can't do to you. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to fight for it. And I am going to plow through the rules. End the story. And folks, remember, even a lot of working class Democrats are tired of these rules too. Because as Joe said, and he's right, they are subjective. They are arbitrary. They change on a dime. And folks, most importantly, and I'm going to move on if this I got a lot more to get to, mm -hmm. they will ruin your life. We're not talking about accusing somebody of throwing their gum on the floor in the factory and fining them $5. We're talking about pulling in that, you know, Michigan auto worker into an office and accusing him of, of hating people who are, or are, who are trans or hating people who are gay or hating people who are black because he made a, a poorly timed joke. You're talking about ruining someone's life forever. He makes the local paper, Michigan worker fired. For, I mean, look at what happened to Ron DeSantis down here in Florida, the guy who won the governorship. He says in a line right after the election, you know, we don't want to monkey up the economy. The left's like, 
Okey doke. Andrew Gillum's black. You're a racist. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there is zero evidence at all that Ron DeSantis, a, a veteran, a patriot, and an all-around decent human being, there is zero evidence at all that he is a racist. Zero. And what happened? The left made it about race. The monkey. Up. Meanwhile, a lot of people were like, Joe, scratching their heads going, I've used that term before. Yeah. Now, granted, using it in terms of a person is is uh, no question. It's out of bounds, right? right? But that's not what DeSantis said. And people were scratching their heads like mm-hmm. Joe's doing now going, wait, I've used that. I'm, uh, you're telling me I'm a racist too? And the left, Joe, thinks this is a good strategy. They lost. Folks, they lost in Florida. And don't sit there with your stupid, silly arguments that, oh, Florida, they were. I heard someone say on a cable news channel the other day, Florida just wasn't ready for a black governor. Listen, idiots, they voted for Barack Obama, Florida, twice by a handy margin the first time. Give it a rest. Let me just drop a little hint to you. Dump the identity politics garbage. When you see genuine examples of racism, call it out. We'll be with you. When you fabricate them out of thin air, you are alienating 50 to 60% of the population who sees themselves as a potential next target of you. You have everybody worried by this. I don't know why you think, why you think an electoral strategy an electoral strategy of calling 40 to 50% of the country racist is a long-term victory plan. You just lost in Florida and in Georgia trying the same thing, despite what was a great year otherwise for Democrats. It is not working. Um, Hey, a little bit of breaking news here. Uh, So a federal judge has ordered Jim Acosta's White House pass uh, returned. (laughs) Man. So you can expect this to continue. Um, I, I tell you, if I were the White House right now, um, I would not uh, take another question from this no. guy ever. Uh, he's going to obviously be let back in uh, the, according to this federal ruling that just broke. But I'm just saying from my experience dealing with the press, uh, this guy's Jim Acosta is a uniquely bad actor. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I would not. If you're listening in the White House, I would not take another question from this guy ever he has shown himself to be a liberal activist nothing more he's not interested in questions he's inter- he's interested in interrogations uh to play to his liberal base um let him sit there let him raise his hand uh, i would not give this guy the floor ever again he's embarrassed himself and the media okay i got a lot more to get to in this election stuff uh today's show also brought to you i love this company <laughs> one of my favorites man crates <laughs> i got a man crate once i got the salami book i actually got two of them I got the salami bouquet, which was great. And man crates come in a wooden crate, literally. And they come with a crowbar and you get to open it yourself. I'm not kidding. I opened mine in like five to seven minutes. It was the greatest thing ever. I was, I got that crowbar and I'm like, Argh! well, you got gift season coming up and you know how hard it is to buy gifts for guys. It's tough. Well, I've got the solution for you. Man crates. Folks, listen, the holidays are coming up. This is important stuff. We got, you, you got people want to give some gifts. You want to bring a cool gift over for Thanksgiving. Man crates, man crates, man crates. They got the knife making kit, the whiskey appreciation kit. The, uh, they got a kit for people interested in grilling and barbecue. They got the salami bouquet, which is my favorite. I ate that thing in a week. This holiday season, give him a gift he's guaranteed to love. Guaranteed to love with man crates. Handpicked and packaged gifts for every type of dad. Like I said, you got a knife-making kit. Who wouldn't want that? Whiskey appreciation crate. Oh, we love it. Most gifts ship in a sealed wooden crate with a crowbar. You get to pry it open yourself in front of everyone. People at the party will love this thing. With man crates, you're giving dad more than a gift. You're giving your son, your husband, father, whatever it may be, your buddy, more than just a gift. You're giving them a gift experience. Plus, every man crate comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go today to mancrates.com slash Dan. That's mancrates, man, C-R-A-T-E-S, mancrates.com slash Dan. That's mancrates.com slash Dan. Pick up one of your mancrates today. These are the best holiday gifts out there. Folks, go check it out. I am not even digging or scratching the surface on all the wonderful gifts they have over there. I only mentioned a few. But their stuff is terrific. It is the gift for the guy in your life. If you're in your car right now listening, you're home, you're in your office, you're listening on your iPhone, and you have a guy in your life 
who you've had a tough time shopping for. Forget the ties, the socks. Let me just, Joe, can you agree? Yeah. He no, doesn't want them. I don't them. want them. No. He doesn't. Nah. He doesn't want uh-uh. them. I'm just letting you. Go to mancrates.com slash Dan. You will find a ton of awesome gifts. You will love it. Rip that thing open with the crowbar. Top right off. Okay. Getting back to this, uh, this, this, what we've been talking about with Trump and the mm. chaos theory, which I think is wrong. Again, I think it's perceived more as a battle against rules people see as arbitrary and capricious. There is some, some bad news out there, too. So the good news is, again, I think that the, there's a miscalculation on the left's part that people are going to see Trump as chaotic when I see them as being, and most, <clears throat> I think, working class voters see him as being a warrior. The downside is this. We are losing a significant number of college-educated voters. I have an article up in uh, the show notes today. I strongly encourage you to read. It's about the Arizona race between Martha McSally and uh, far-left activist uh, Kirsten Cinema, who wound up somehow beating a decorated uh, A-10 warthog pilot in Republican Martha McSally. I'm still surprised about that race. But it's a fascinating analysis of the race, and it really applies nationally. That's why I'm bringing it up here, because it talks about us hemorrhaging what the, the article is called the revenge of the rhinos that's how it's listed in the show notes how we're losing the rhinos and it says listen the basically the democrat party joe is becoming the party of elites it is this is a massive massive culture shift over time now i'm only 43 but some of you who are older than me and have been intimately involved in the political game for a long time joe's not mm-hmm. that much older but he's been mm-hmm. doing this for a while too joe remember not that long ago the Republican Party was considered the party of the rich guy, and the Democrats was the party of the Democrat Party was a party yeah. of the working class. They were the working mm-hmm. class champions. They were yeah. out there in the factories on the factory floor defending the yeah. downtrodden folks. Do you understand that's entirely shifted? Please, if you don't understand the gravity of this, pause the episode and digest what I just said. In just thirty years, maybe less, we have seen a massive shift in electoral politics. From rural, exurban, agricultural America, from the Democrat Party into the Republican Party, which is now the party of the working class, while the Democrats take what was the old Republican coalition, college educated, graduate schools, a lot of rich business people. Think about it. All these tech companies in California, they're all liberals. We're losing significant numbers. And uh, let me tie this back to Arizona so you don't think I got lost. The Arizona race... They have a lot of college-educated, graduate degree holding and more, Republicans who flipped over and voted for far-left activist Kirsten Cinema, who, by the way, she already uh, lied to the voters. I won't support Chuck Schumer for majority leader. First vote. I support Chuck Schumer for majority <laughs> leader. So she sold you out already, but that's okay. It's not okay, actually, but that's yeah. what they do, right? Arizona was lost, and, and he makes the case com- in a very compelling fashion because college-educated voters are leaving the Republican Party, and there's not enough rural and working class exurb agricultural farm uh, voters uh, to backfill the loss in some of these states. Now, he makes the case that in Ohio and in Florida, this may be working to the Republican Party's advantage because there are a lot of working class rural voters who see the Republican Party as fighting against the rules. They see the Republican Party now through their, 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 their now leader, Donald Trump. He is the president. He's the unquestioned leader of the party at this point. I don't think anybody doubts that, especially based on his approval rating amongst Republicans. They see Trump as taking on the elites. The Democrats are the new elites. Now, why am I bringing this up? Not, some of you may know this because, folks, we are in a little bit of trouble. I talked about this the other day. Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, the big cities and the suburban areas are starting to move towards the Democrats. There is a path to victory. The path to victory is one that's been thrown out forever, but it's been seen as fool's gold for a long time. The path to long-term electoral dominance, folks, for us, the Republican Party, is with the Hispanic and black vote. You may say, oh, okay, Dan, we've been saying that forever. Wait, we've been saying it forever for all the wrong reasons. Folks, keep in mind, Hispanic and black voters share a lot. I'm not speaking about anybody categorically. I, I, I hate when the left does that. They talk about, them, uh, about black voters and Hispanic voters like they're robots. They are not. Right. I'm saying through my electoral experience, having run in Maryland, the state with a very large black and Hispanic population, knocking on doors, overwhelming majorities of people I spoke to in Democrat neighbors, uh, neighborhoods 
shared a lot of the social values we as conservatives do, a respect for life, a respect for religion, spirituality. This is not virtue signaling or talking points. This was my real experience in the real world. Donald Trump, through his outspoken bravado type style, has managed to crack through this 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 cultural barrier in a lot of these communities where Republicans were deemed as unacceptable. A lot of these communities, Republicans were seen as out of touch elites. We're seen as, you know, the Democrats told us Republicans are racist. But now a lot of these folks in the black community who are coming out and saying, you know what, I support tax cuts for the business I own. They're being called Uncle Tom's, Spanish people being called all kinds of awful sellouts and all this other stuff. They're the ones saying the same thing that the people who champion Donald Trump because he fights against these subjective uh, 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 PC rules, they're now saying, wait, wait, now the rules are being turned on me? You're telling me as a black voter, Hispanic voter, that I'm a racist because I support Trump's tax cuts? Folks, just to dial it back a little bit, this is why I talked about the importance of the Kanye thing. He is not a conservative. I don't care who Kanye West tells me to vote for, not even a little bit. I make my own decisions. I'm simply suggesting the backlash against Kanye West for simply showing up at the White House, which anybody would do. It's an honor to be in the White House, no matter who the president is. I guarantee you opened a lot of eyes to a lot of people who said, wait, all he did was show up at the White House. Give us a break. You're damn right, Kanye. Damn right. I love that guy. I know that video well. I love that. (laughs) That one I know. That video is incredible, by the way. Yeah. We played that before. That's why these moments are, it's going to add up. I'm not saying there's going to be a massive cultural shift overnight and a parting of the electoral Red Seas. I'm suggesting to you folks that we are losing college voters because the Democrats are becoming part the party of the elitists. They will defend the tech industry. They will defend Amazon's tax breaks in New York. They will sell out the middle class in a heartbeat. Look at this. Middle class, a lot of middle class people working got $1,000 tax rebates after the tax cut. Uh, And what did Nancy Pelosi say? Just crumbs. Yeah, of course, to her, because she's a multi-quadrillionaire. We are going to continue to lose. The path to long-term electoral success is throwing out these race and cultural uh, uh, walls we've been afraid to hurdle in the past, breaking into the Hispanic community. If we can get a consistent 40 to 45% of the Hispanic vote or more, and a consistent 20 to 25% of the black vote, as they start to see the Republican Party as the champion of middle-class values, the Democrat Party will be wiped out for a generation, folks. For a generation. This is the soft spot. These are natural, these are, these are working-class folks who we've been told because of the color of their skin, where they were born, what their background or culture is, that we're not allowed to talk to them. No, no, we are. We're allowed to do whatever we want. And Trump clearly doesn't care about your stupid old rules. We're losing the rhinos. But I think we have a significant chance right now to move in and make serious, serious inroads into the black community. Hey, uh, one more thing I wanted to uh, hit today. Daniel Greenfield has a really uh, terrific piece in Front Page Mag. Again, up at the show notes. Please read the show notes. And folks, I, I again uh, respectfully ask that you subscribe to my email list if you so desire. I send out an email once a day. We will not spam your inbox. And I put all of these articles in that email once a day. I pick between five and eight of the best articles I can find out there to give you a flavor for what's going on in the day. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I'd appreciate if you'd sign up and subscribe to my email list. You can do it on the website. We do not sell, uh, uh, your, we do not sell our email list. Uh, we have ads on our email list, but we do not sell your email list. I uh, just want to bring it up, so I appreciate it. But this article from Daniel Greenfield is up at Front Page Mag today. And again, it hits on this. Today's show, the theme of today's show is lessons from 2018, lessons for 2020, lessons about why the left doesn't understand Trump. And I believe that this story fits in nicely with it. Greenfield has a great piece about the influence of the cultural and media elitists on elections and the hypocrisy they bring forth uh, by talking about things like populist uh, rebellions. Here's what I mean by that. I've seen a lot of this lately. When the left loses, I brought this up on on Fox the other day in the Ingram show. When the left loses, they lose an institution. They want the institution disbanded immediately. Have you noticed this, Joe? You know, they lose the governor's race in Florida. New election. (laughs) They lost the Senate. You started seeing articles creeping up at far left websites when they didn't win back the Senate in this midterm. What did you see? The Senate is 
is is a is a needs to be abolished. It's not population sensitive. It wasn't supposed to be, you dopes. That's the House of Representatives. It's unfair that Wisconsin gets to elect the same amount of senators as New York or California. Ladies and gentlemen, uh again, regional interests were to be preserved in the Constitution. That's why we have our federalist system. Uh obviously these people haven't read the Constitution. But Greenfield brings up a fascinating point, Joe. So you want the Supreme Court stacked because it's chosen by a Senate that has equal representation of the states. You don't like that. You think New York and California should have more senators because that's where your, your political power is. So that's your point, right? Greenfield brings up an excellent counterpoint I hadn't really thought of. He says, when you look at this election, Joe, mm-hmm. this election was bought by cultural and media elites in New York and California. He's like, it's fascinating. He says $166.8 million, a record by far, was pumped into 30 Democrat House seats, some of them not even close to where the money came from. So you have no problem at all when money and media influence is poured into districts outside of the coast. You want to influence the politics over there in your direction by sending your money and your media influence into Wisconsin, Michigan, and other, and Pennsylvania to flip seats. But when Pennsylvania exerts its right to send two senators, a non-population sensitive uh, 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 metric for power, to D.C., you don't like that. You want that abolished. So you just want to control everything now. You want to control the money. You want to control the political power. You want to control the uh, the media power. Do you see the the, 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 the tyrannical streak in this case? I hope this makes sense. Greenfields, it's a great, great analogy. How they complain about the political influence of separate and distinct states, Mm -hmm. yet they pour money into those same states outside of the state to take over the power in those states. So what is it? Are those states irrelevant and they shouldn't have a political say? Or are they so relevant that we should pour money into into them from the coasts to take over California, to take over Wisconsin politics. What is it? Do Wisconsin politics matter or do they not? It's a terrific analogy. Think about it, right? In terms of the media. John James in Michigan, terrific candidate, happens to be black. Again, a fact that only seems to matter to the left. We, I mean, no one in the Republican Party cares. We care that John James was a patriot who ran for Senate. West Point grad was a terrific candidate. He was a Republican. He ran against Debbie Stabenow in Michigan. He ran an amazing race. When He lost by six points. But let me tell you something. Based on historical numbers, if he would have lost by 10, it wouldn't be anything out of line. The fact that he only lost by six, in my opinion, is a political win for him. He may not be sitting in the seat, but it, it ups his political bank account. His, cap, the, his political capital is high. Mm-hmm. Some of you may not even have heard of John James. But I assure you, you've heard of Beto O'Rourke. Oh, Beto. Beto, the Democrat candidate in Texas. Beto O'Rourke, who's not even Hispanic. The Democrats love identity politics. Beto O'Rourke, he's one of us. There was millions and millions of dollars of glowing, sycophantic, grotesquely idolizing pieces of Beto O'Rourke because he had a, a, a Hispanic nickname. He's Irish. They, and he almost he almost won. He almost beat Ted Cruz. So you, the media attention's fawning over Texas to make that race close. But yet John James, black Republican candidate, West Point grad, you don't like identity politics anymore. You don't want to celebrate him. Again, how the media and the money love to get involved in states, ignore other states, and then when those states send their representatives to D.C., they don't want those states to have any influence when they lose. It's ridiculous. It's it's so stupid. Read the piece. I'm telling you, it's really good. It got in my head today. I was very upset about it because I'm like, they're right. Wisconsin doesn't matter. Well, Democrats, why are you pouring money into Wisconsin? Because Wisconsin matters. What the hell is it? Pick your poison, fellas. They can't because they're hypocrites. All right. Uh, one last read. And I, I got a couple more things to get to. One about the Mueller probe, which is completely, I believe, falling apart right now, which is great news. Folks, we the people holsters, finest custom made holsters out there. They sent me a sample early in the game, and uh, the people who sell my ad said, "You interested?" I said, "This holder, this holster is awesome. I love it." We the people holsters designs their own holsters in house. They don't use third party molds. 
They designed them right here in the United States in Las Vegas. They cut every mold to fit each firearm with precision. They update their designs constantly. They have the Constitution design on there, the thin red line, a camo one. These are beautifully designed holsters. Wait till you get it. You're going to be like, damn, this thing is nice. It has an adjustable can, an adjustable ride. That way, you know, when you put the in the pants holsters in, those cheapo ones you get from the store, you can't adjust them. Rides up on that hip bone. You're like, this is uncomfortable. Not we the people holsters. You can adjust it. Beautiful. You can also adjust the tension. You like your firearm a little more secure in the holster? Fine. Just turn the screw. You like it a little looser? Just turn the screw. It's as simple as that. Like I said, they have custom printed designs that change all the time. Their prices are start at just shockingly just $34. But it gets better. Each holster comes with a lifetime guarantee. It ships free. And if it's not a perfect fit, send it back for a refund. I'll give you a special here today, though. If you go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan, that's wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan, you'll get $10 off. That's a, oh, come on, you're not going to get a better deal than this, folks. That's $24 for your first holster with free shipping. wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan, wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. You won't regret it. These are really cool, well-designed, beautiful holsters. I love mine. Okay. Folks, the Mueller probe is losing its punch and it's driving the Democrats crazy. They are, uh, they are losing their minds uh, over this and they're, they're doubling down and trying to stick to this. And now, this is for a reason. I'm going to give you some numbers from a Wall Street Journal piece today about the Mueller probe and how it's falling apart. The Democrats, one of the things that the Trump perceives sense, uh, I'm going to tie this all together for you. As I opened up the show, he has this perceived sense of invulnerability. Trump plows through. He does not accept the media rules. You can't say nationalism. You know, Trump, you can't go out there and, and you know, say we're going we're gonna to ban people from foreign countries from traveling in if they come from terror-laden countries. We're going to call you a racist. Okay, here's the travel ban. He just does it. He plows through. <laughs> this is infuriating the Democrats. And my theory on Donald Trump from the beginning, if you're a regular listener to the show or you see me on Fox, as Joe well knows, is Trump gets the Democrats to show their butts, trying to mm-hmm. keep the show family-friendly. Unlike any candidate in the past, the Democrats are usually a lot better at hiding their true intentions. The Democrats want your money. They want your health care. They want your kids. They want their education. But they hide it. They mask it. They're better at doing that. They phrase their big government uh, money theft agenda through high taxes. Be like, we're, we're, we're just in this for income equality. We want people to have equal incomes. That's not what they mean. They just want to take your money. You know, healthcare. We want to ensure health care for all. What they really mean is health care for none because the government will take it over. You'll be sitting on a waiting list. They disguise it better. One of the gifts of Donald Trump, due to his perceived invulnerability and his consistent plowing through the media fog and the Democrat fog, is the Democrats constantly overreact to everything he does, Joe, because they're not used to this. They are losing their tactical efficiency against Donald Trump because they're not used to being engaged in prolonged fights. Please follow me. This is going to be important with the Mueller probe. In the past, whether it was George W. Bush, anyone else, any prominent Republican, the minute the racist word was dropped on any policy, they would back away immediately. Even when it was totally, completely fabricated and made up, they were afraid. The same way, you know, if George W. Bush had used the term nationalist and been called a racist, they would have been issuing an apology the next day. Trump didn't do it. He went out on stage and used it again just to tick everybody off. <laughs> Instead of the Democrats diplomatically dealing with this, they have finally, this is the gift of Trump. I can't say it enough. They are reacting emotionally. They are not reacting strategically anymore. I believe that's why their midterm, although successful for them, was not nearly as good as it could have been. Folks, they could have easily picked up 50 seats and won some of those Senate races. They didn't. They had a good midterm, but they lost strategic states and the governorships. Their pickups in the House were good, not great, and they lost the Senate. The reason is they've shown their butts over and over. They have shown their butts because they are reacting emotionally because they're engaged in an extinction burst of behavior. This is an important thing here. They don't know how to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, we are hard. We are hard. We, our skin is thick. It is leathery. We have been engaged in this fight for a long time. We have been called every awful name in the book by liberals. We have been shunned on college campuses. People are having drinks thrown at them. In polite conversation, you can't even mention you're a Trump supporter anymore. We have learned to deal with the slings and arrows. We've, we get it. Liberals haven't. They're soft. They have been coddled their whole life. Safe spaces. Anytime you say something, the administration takes the liberal perspective. 
the HR department takes the snowflakes perspective. Anytime you made a bad joke, we are hardened. They are not. Because they are not, even liberal politicians don't know how to deal with Trump. They have thrown every single political bullet round cannon shot they've had at him. You're a racist. You're a tyrant. You're a Nazi. You're a fascist. None of it sticks. So rather than reevaluating that strategy out of a sense of sheer emotional anger, they have overreacted with rage. And as I said last week in a show, they have now become obsessed with punishment politics. In other words, it's not good enough to win. They have to punish. It's not good enough to win on gay marriage. They have to bankrupt the florist and the baker. It's not good enough to insult Trump. We need to put him in jail. This obsession with punishment politics, Joe, is blowing up in their face big time. About time, too. Huge. How do I know that? Let me give you the numbers from a Wall Street Journal piece today by Kim Strassel. The Mueller probe has lost its political potency as Democrats acknowledged on the midterm trail. They didn't win House seats by warning of Russian collusion. They didn't even talk about it. Most voters don't care or don't care to hear about it. A CNN exit poll found 54% of respondents think the Russia probe is politically motivated. A 46% plurality disapprove of Mr. Mueller's handling of it. But you may say, Dan, I thought you said they, they did respond emotionally. They do. Here we go. But this hasn't stopped Democrats from fixating on it since the election, in particular when President Trump fired Sessions and named Whitaker as a temporary replacement. The left now insists the appointment is unconstitutional because Whitaker voids skepticism on the probe. Folks, they are doubling down on this. They are now going back to the punishment politics they're obsessed with now that they've taken power in the House and they are going to blow it again because they are reacting emotionally because Trump perceives himself as invulnerable to this and he is plowing through the haze. He is not backing down. They are waiting for him to admit, oh, I'll admit it, we colluded with threat. They didn't. There's no collusion. He is plowing through and it is driving them wild and it is causing them to react in an extreme emotional manner completely detached from the political realities. Folks, this is going to be big trouble for them. Harping back to the theme of the show today, electoral analysis 2018 and 2020. If this continues, ladies and gentlemen, I assure you there will be a major backlash in 2020. And it's there stands a very good chance that we retake a lot of those House seats and win back the presidency. If they don't propose anything policy-wise and their whole two years becomes an obsession with punishment politics and jailing Donald Trump, it will be a nightmare for them. Now, one last piece on this. The Mueller probe, ladies and gentlemen, is a farce. It's a disgrace. Uh, It's a disgrace to justice. It's an embarrassment. There is a piece up at Real Clear Investigations today I strongly encourage you to read by Paul Sperry. It's very good. It's in the show notes again. It goes down the list of of, uh, people connected to the Trump sphere that have been arrested and have yet to flip on Trump in any significant way in collusion. In other words, let's just get the lead out in front. If there was Russian collusion, how come all these arrests have been made and no one's produced any evidence of Russian collusion? In other words, if me and Joe robbed a bank together, they arrest Joe and Joe's cooperating with the feds and everybody keeps alleging I robbed the bank with Joe. Sooner or later, you'd think Joe said I robbed the bank with him. I know the squealers when I see them. (laughs) That's good. I did not plan that one out. The squealer, here's the problem, Joe. The squealers aren't squealing, at least on collusion. Which would say to a normal person, folks, I'm talking about normal people. I'm not talking about these people now trying to attack Trump. There is none. Has it ever occurred to the liberals? And he goes down the list, Paul Sperry, in the piece. It's very good. Michael Cohen, Mike Flynn, Paul Manafort, Papadopoulos, Rick Gates. Mueller's arrested these people for all kinds of process stuff. Stuff related to lobbying, lying to federal agents. Fine. People always said, oh, there were indictments. Yeah, but not for, your whole point is that there was Russian collusion. When are the, uh, Joe, people got a kick out of your line the other day. I even used it on Levin last night. (laughs) Where are the Russians? Joe said sooner or later, you're going to have to produce an actual Russian who colluded. Right? (laughs) They have yet to produce a Russian that colluded. Yet, Yet this has been going on for a year and a half. So Sperry makes a great point in this. The reason the public's turning against the Mueller probe is all these people, every time they get locked up, Joe, right? It's a bombshell. <laughs> it's ex- yeah. This is explosive. 
Manafort agrees to cooperate. Okay, great. Where's the collusion? Right. There is no collusion. So Strassel makes a really, really good point. If they had the collusion, it would have appeared already. Remember, Trump asked Comey to investigate any possible collusion in a White House meeting before they fired him. They're yet to find any. Has it ever occurred to the Looney Tunes libs that they haven't found it because it's not there? I know that's a crazy thought, but have you even entertained that? That there may not be evidence of collusion despite all these cooperators because there is none? Now, Strassel brings up a great point, Joe, that this creates a really ugly choice for the Democrats coming up. This Mueller probe's almost over, folks. What's going to happen if Mueller issues a report saying Michael Cohen was involved in taxi cab medallion stuff, Paul Manafort was a lobbyist who didn't pay his taxes or whatever, whatever he alleges in the report, right? Papadopoulos fibbed to us once. What happens if there's no collusion in that report? How do you think it's going to fly in 2020 that two years of America's life and the Democrats' attention have been wasted on attacking Donald Trump and they have produced absolutely nothing on collusion? Now, I bring this up because as I opened up the show with him trying to tie this all together and make it nice and seamless, Donald Trump has not been the one to back down. I'll tell you right now, Joe, what a traditional Republican would do when that report's issued and there's no collusion in there. You know this too, Joe. You know a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. They would say, his political advisor would say, hey, let it go. It was ugly. It's all over finally. Don't bring it up again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, You know Trump ain't going to do that. (laughs) Trump is going to use it as re-election. 2020, I've been fighting for you, for your wallets, for your jobs. What have the Democrats been doing? And if I were him, I would I would bring the report with them everywhere. Say it's a 100-page report or whatever. I would have them. They produced this 100-page report on taxicab medallion fraud. <laughs> There's no collusion in here. They wasted your time. You know Trump's going to do that. Yep. You know it. This Mueller probe, ironically, is going to turn around and be a huge benefit to Trump in the end. He doesn't like it. It's been ugly. It's been a pain in the butt, but there's no collusion. So Trussell talks about this choice. The Democrats, Joe, are either going to have to take one of two avenues because there will be no collusion. Right. They're going to have to acknowledge that Trump is right because there's no collusion and a report says there's no collusion and they're going to have to acknowledge they wasted two years of voters' time or they're going to have to attack Mueller and throw him under the bus. Now, folks, don't for a second. You may say, no, they're never going to do that. They've been celebrating Mueller for months. Listen, we're talking about Democrats here. We're not talking about people who are principled. We're talking about Hill Democrats. They have shown no unifying set of principles at all other than they hate Trump. Remember how they turned on Comey? They hated Comey and the Hillary Clinton thing. And then when Comey Mm -hmm. went after Trump, he was great. They loved him. The Democrats, if you were on tape, Joe, Mm -hmm. saying Dan Bongino's a, a toolbox. Huh. And you ran for office. You would kind of be embarrassed later on, you know, coming back and saying Dan Bongino is not a toolbox or you'd have to apologize, right? The Democrats don't think like that. They don't. The Democrats, that's probably a bad example because it's a character thing. I mean, if you let me give you a better example, because a lot of people, even, you know, Trump changed on Cruz and stuff. If you were on tape saying the Trump tax cuts really suck, I'm Joe Armacost and run as a Democrat, you would be embarrassed during the election to say, no, the Trump tax cuts are great. I was lying to you. (laughs) Democrats don't do that. They are on tape saying Comey sucks and then on tape saying Comey's the greatest guy ever. Don't for a second discount when this report comes out that there's no collusion, that they attack Bob Mueller is weak. The investigation is being terrible and they start taking it up against the House again. Why? Because Trump plows straight through. Trump will not take the path that I'm going to let this go. He is going to he is going to talk about the report every day on the campaign trail which is going to force the Democrats to show their butts again, which they didn't do in the past. They're usually more efficient. And then they're going to come out and demand the second and third special counsel, new House investigations, new Senate investigations, and they are going to look completely ridiculous in the 2020 reelect if this happens. It shows on tape. Yeah. You'll see. You watch. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I'm just saying don't discount number two. Number one is that they'll acknowledge there's no collusion and move on. That's what a smart Democrat party would do 
two or three years ago. Not in the Trump era. Trump will not let this go like other Republicans. You know we won't let it go. And the Democrats will show their butts because they will be dominated by emotion looking to punish Trump. And they will say, this isn't good enough. We're going to demand another investigation. And they will look like darn fools. <laughs> wow. I really like that show. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, man. So I, folks, I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, on SoundCloud. It is free. I think it's the follow button on iHeart. Uh, the subscriptions drive us up the charts, and they help everybody find the show. I really appreciate you sharing our content. Thank you very much. Uh, I will see you all on Monday. Have a really great weekend. Thanks. Good day, sir. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.